Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to remind everybody that if you have not already, you can uh, subscribe to the digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine absolutely free. Uh, in fact, if you go to chickenwhisperermagazine.com, uh, you can see every single article ever written in the last six years um, in Chicken Whisperer Magazine. And these are articles not written by uh, novice bloggers or just a uh, uh, you know, homesteader, homesteader that's been keeping chickens for six months and they're giving you their opinion. Every single article, go and look at it, written by poultry scientists, poultry veterinarians, poultry nutritionists about topics um, that, uh, the, let's face it, we, we all need to know about regarding our backyard flocks. So um, if you like a true physical magazine, we also send uh, thousands of those out. Uh, it's nine ninety five per year. You get four issues a year, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Uh, right to your mailbox. But uh, in this digital age, a lot of people like just to do the digital version, and it is free. Always will be, always has been. It's not a bait-and-switch type of deal where you're only going to get a certain time or, or you only get it free and then you have to pay and or you have to sign up for the paper magazine. No, it is, it is free because we're so passionate about getting you the right information into your hands and eliminate all the quackery that is out there about backyard flocks. So don't forget to do that, Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Com. I also have some really, really great news to share with you guys. Yesterday, which let me look at the calendar and make sure uh, I take that back, uh, Tuesday, <laughs> I get my days mixed up. Uh, this past Tuesday, uh, August 11th, my fourth book was released by the publisher. It is now available on Amazon. I'm sure like my others will be available uh, in Tractor Supply and Barnes & Noble and Books a Million. Uh, and of course, like I said, it's available on Amazon. It just came out. It is uh, really the uh, a pure beginner's guide to uh, chicken keeping. It's uh, the, the chicken whisperer is a, a first time chicken keeping, and it's very very basic. And, and I did this because there's a lot of people, especially this year with the not just the pandemic, but every spring. But the pandemic made it probably threefold. 
um, of people that are getting started with backyard chickens. They buy them as little chicks at the feed stores, or they order them online, and then they get them. And then once they get them, all of these posts are out there on the blogs and the forums and the threads and the groups on Facebook, and, and then they're just getting all this mixed information. So, uh, again, it just came out, my fourth book. And I really think you'll like it, especially if you're, uh, again, it's designed for the first-time chicken keeper. We really took a lot out of my very first book, The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, um, and, and um, uh, updated some things and put it into this new book, which just is uh, for strictly for the beginner. So we do hope you will enjoy that. So that's some exciting news. Fourth book out just came out on Tuesday. I have an idea of what I want to do for the next one, um, just a little something that's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> not necessarily that makes fun of all of us, me included, uh, in our everyday life of taking care of these uh, amazing animals, these chickens, whether they're pets or for food or for farming or whatever. But I, I've come up with maybe, and I may make it a calendar. I'm not really sure yet. I have had a calendar in the past. Um and uh, where I want to do something like just fun, whimsical stuff, like like what, I'll give you an example. Um, I created a meme. I think it's over on my Facebook page, the Chicken Whisper page. But it has a chicken, and it's just standing there looking at you kind of funny. And it basically says, you know, chicken owner says, my chickens are so smart, I spoil them with all kinds of treats. <laughs> And then below, it says, chicken. <laughs> and then what the chicken says, fresh water. I think I'll go poop in it. <laughs> so <laughs> just little things like that. So I want to take these and things that I've been thinking up, things that I see, you know, in, in a lot of these groups. Like somebody the other day posted, um, <laughs> they posted a, a picture of a cattle water tank. It's basically a tank, holds, you know, 300 gallons of water for, I didn't know if they had cows or horses or whatever large livestock they have. And this was a legitimate, legitimate folks, uh, folk, uh, post, folk, but um, she had a picture <laughs> of the water tank, 300 gallons probably, 250, and her post was, does anybody know how I can stop <laughs> losing my chickens because they're falling into this tank and they're drowning? So, again, here's uh, uh, the Chicken Whisper to the Rescue. I created another meme uh, with an old TV show. Now, we don't own a television. We haven't owned a television in nine years, but we all know Maury Povich. We all know that he's famous for his, we had you take a lie detector, and you stated this, and that was determined to be a lie. <laughs> so I created a meme with Maury Povich, you know, sitting in his chair on his show holding that card, and it said, um, uh, you claimed your chickens were very smart. <laughs> we determined that that was a complete lie, and they are dumb as dirt. <laughs> and of course, it got tons and tons of likes. So I'm, I'm, my next, uh, um, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, my next avenue of, of books or entertainment or, or the, um, the calendar, I think is going to be something geared, really fun, that every chicken person can relate to, that we've all experienced, like the, ah, clean fresh water, I think I'll go poop in it, <laughs> something like that, you know, so obviously it won't be this huge 300-page thing, uh, and it could be just a flip calendar, 12 months, whatever, uh, it may be uh, something a little bit more fun, small little book, you know, six by nine, that uh, the publisher would be uh, um, 
interested in publishing, but uh, we, I've had fun, on, a lot of fun with that lately. So uh, that uh, I've been thinking about maybe that being the next book uh, or some type of publication. So we're having fun with that. I hope all of you are surviving and doing well during this, these crazy times. Um, if you remember, my long, long time listeners do remember this, and, and it's still brought up quite a bit when I get emails from them uh, or they post on my social media. But but in years past, for probably we've been doing this show now for 11 or 12 years, and um, probably at least for the half of that, uh, the show included. In fact, the show intro may still include that. Uh, we, we talked about, we had uh, lots of shows about living a self-sufficient lifestyle, self-sustaining lifestyle. We did all kinds of, of that, almost, almost prepping, but not quite crossing that line. Um, and so I've, I've really thought about recently as well doing some more of that, uh, designating one week out of the month or one show out of the month or, or something like that to uh, getting back to, again, living a self-sufficient lifestyle uh, and how we've been doing it Um in the past and 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 then now currently, uh, especially because I've seen a lot of folks uh, with this pandemic, they uh, uh, I don't know people call it woke, uh, and, they're, and they're looking at doing more of, of that at a basic level. And you will go broke doing prepping if you get into it really deeply, and you and you just get focused on it. You you, you can go broke. You, I know people lose like lost their house because they just every penny went into prepping because they panicked. And uh, you, you don't need to do that. It's, it's, uh, you just need to change your lifestyle a little bit. And every time you go to the grocery store, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Go to the hardware store, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You don't have to go out and buy $4,000 uh, worth of 30-year long storage, you know, freeze-dried feed uh, to put in your basement. You know, you, you, and then people get really focused on that. So I may start because I'm seeing a need for it again, seeing a lot of posts, a lot of current events uh, that, that may warrant that. I'm going to give you an example, too, that is one of the things I always talk about with folks. I've talked about this on the road, and we'll get right to our show today, which is, again, a very interesting topic. And that is, you know, people talk about, oh, I'm going to do this. Why do you want to keep chickens? I want to live self-sufficient lifestyle, self-sustaining lifestyle. Um, and it's just a very basic thing that people, a lot of people, don't even think about. And that is that they will, whether they live in a neighborhood or a community or a city or even some places in, out in the county, <coughs> pardon me, and they don't allow you to, say, keep a rooster or they have no need for a rooster. They don't want to keep a rooster for whatever reason. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you know, generally speaking, if you have chickens, quote, hens, and you don't have a rooster, uh, you're not self-sufficient <laughs> because eventually you will have none. Um, you got to have that rooster there to reproduce, to continue to have, to continue that, your, your backyard flock. So just something, you know, it can be very that basic. And I've run into so many people that don't think about that. They'll throw out that word self-sustaining or self-sufficient, you know, um, self-reliant, whatever. And, and, and then I'll tell, tell me about your flock. Well, I got, you know, 38 hens and, and so we love the eggs. And da, 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 da. I said, you don't have a rooster. No. Well, I just kind of come out and tell them, or there's, there's, no possible way you can live that self-sustaining self, or you know, lifestyle without a rooster. Eventually, you're going to have no hens, and uh, well, you know. And right now, it's you know, well, I can always order from McMurray or Cackle or Ideal or whatever. I can get all the hens that I want right now. Um, but or, or if something you know, uh, something happens, whatever the case may be, and, and you can't. Well, I got a neighbor that has some. Was well, your neighbor going to let you? you know, buy a rooster? What do you have to barter for that rooster? So, you know, when when you claim that, oh, I'm living self-sufficient lifestyle, but you don't have a rooster, you're really not. So just something like that. But we also talk about um, long-term food storage, uh, canning, 
um, dehydrating, things like that. So we, I'm considering maybe going back to having a, a one show a month uh, regarding that topic as well. Not so much as prepping. We never really crossed that line early on. Just uh, things to ponder about living a more self-sufficient lifestyle, whether it's on a quarter acre. And we've done that before when we first got started. Or, in, or if it's on 13 acres or on 80 acres. So uh, we'll be doing that. But nonetheless, thank you very much for tuning in today. Um, today's topic, uh, and I just kind of named it after a brief conversation with uh, poultry veterinarian Dr. Pateski, um, signs it's time to euthanize your chicken. And, of course, right now everybody out there, all the pet chicken folks are gasping. Oh, um, and then, and then with, with legitimacy, I tell you, oh, I could never, I don't think I could ever do that. But this is something, whether you just bought chickens this year, you've had them for five years, and they've just all died naturally or whatever the case may be, this is a topic, like it or not, that every single chicken keeper needs to know. Because you often hear, well, you need to eliminate their suffering right now and euthanize them. You need to go ahead and, and take care of this, whether it be a baby chick that has you know failure to thrive or you know, just having really bad issues, um, or you've got that hen that's got the water belly and ascites, or you've got... You know, egg-bound chicken, whatever the case may be, um, and you're just like, oh, I, I, you know, kind of a selfish, you know, I can't do that. I could never do that. You're just going to listen there and let them suffer because it's easier for you, and that's just uh, not not good for the bird. Um, you may have um, a disease come your way, and it's uh, maybe merics, for example, and you start seeing, you know, 25, 30, 40, 50 percent of your flock. Could be a lot more with merics. Could be your entire flock. But you start seeing these things at that progression. And it's time to start culling uh, slash, you know, euthanizing your flock or, or a lot of them for whatever disease you may encounter. Um, and uh, so it's something I feel this topic that everybody, whether you just bought chickens yesterday or this weekend, uh, or you've had them for 10 or 15 years. I have seen over the years many, many, many different ways people do this. Um, some probably fall in the category of not humane, and I think probably the most are. Um, you know, some people, for example, and we'll just put this out there, some people don't think, um, uh, what's the word? Um, I can see it. It's where, where basically, for lack of a better term, and to be quite just out there, like the large hatcheries when they don't need the cockerels because they're only concentrating on hens or that's what they sell the most of, and they basically put the uh, cockerels through a shredder. Maceration, I think it's something like that. And um, people just gasp at that. But when I was doing research on that 10 years ago, uh, when we were we were doing shows on this, um, if you look at the folks who govern that, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, like the American Veterinary Association and the American Human, that is instant kill. That is a humane way to uh, euthanize, if you will, those those cockerels that that hatchery, for whatever reason, doesn't need. I've, I've heard things like... Um, well, if you're having a baby chick that you know is not going to make it, you're having issues for, for whatever the cause, I've heard things like put them in a Ziploc bag, uh, zip it up, and then put it in the freezer. And basically, they'll just slowly go to sleep. And then, you know, it's you know, so I, don't, I don't know if that's – I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not a poultry scientist. I don't know if that would be considered humane or not. Um, to basically, you're suffocating that chicken, and maybe the freezer, they feel like they're doing that and putting it in the freezer helps. I, I don't know, but I've heard that. Um, I've heard basically the cervical dislocation, uh, where you just uh, you know pop pop the uh, the neck, hold the chicken, pink the neck, and then uh, either uh, pull back, pull up. I think it is, 
Um, we've heard when you process your birds, your meat birds, you know, there's the killing cone and doing it that way. And that's how we process our meat birds here uh, because we've done and seen a lot of this and we feel like that's looking at the bird um, and just letting that drain. And then they just finally just uh, uh, pass out basically. So there's that way. Uh, there's the ax. There's the twisting of the neck. We all see in the little house on the prairie where they grab the chicken and twist the neck, take it in for dinner. Um, I've even seen um, where, and this was a poultry professional, where, and I know I think in big, if I'm not mistaken, and Dr. Petescu will share with us here in a minute, in a lot of these big meat production processing plants, they use electricity and electrocution to, to uh, euthanize the bird. And um, I've seen that even on a small scale. Uh, by a poultry professional, a degree poultry, and this may be, again, in a humane or not, but it's electrical uh, euthanasia where they basically took a lamp cord to an old lamp. Maybe the, the lamp's broken. They're going to throw it in the trash. They they take the lamp cord and cut it. So you still have the end that plugs into the wall, and then you have basically at the end the, the two wires. Um, you know how lamp cord basically is. When you look at it, you have the plug, and then it, you look it's kind of grooved where you can see the two wires and you can kind of split that to make literally two different wires and then they put an alligator clip on each one of those wires um, and then they put an alligator clip on the vent and an alligator clip on the beak and then plug that in and it's instant kill um, so uh, again if you're listening this may not be the best thing you know you're like, oh gosh I'm not going to listen to this show but I'm telling you right now, if you have chickens, you need to listen to the show. You need to prepare yourself because depending on how long you're going to keep chickens, this is something you're going to need to know. You're going to have to make that decision for yourself, what you feel like you can do, uh, whatever scenario, whatever type of uh, euthanasia you're going to do for your flock because of illness. Maybe you have a predator attack and a dog rips you know, half the, the back of the chicken, you know, goes down and clamps down. We've seen pictures of that countless times. Um, on, on the forums and blogs, and you've seen them, where there's just nothing but just on the back of this chicken, all the feathers are gone, there's just meat, and um, you're like, oh, can, can I do anything? And you'll have the people that be like, yeah, just spray it with some an antibiotic and, uh, and, and separate it and whatever, but maybe the best thing in that situation is to euthanize. So that's what the show is about. I encourage you to get a pen, get a paper like I always do for my shows uh, and write a lot of this down, take some notes because then you can review, you can listen to Dr. It would be more apt for you uh, to do. And it may be different based on these are your pets or they're not pets. They're just livestock. They're there to feed your family, um, whatever the case may be in your scenario. But it is a very important show. Uh, and we encourage you all to uh, to listen. I just wanted to go through some of the things we've seen uh, over the years about how we've seen people recommend to do it and what people have done, and then some things that we have done in that situation. So I'm going to go ahead and head over to the phone lines, and we'll bring on uh, poultry veterinarian Dr. Pateski to share a little bit about uh, mainly, you know, signs. What do we need to look for? Um, to say, okay, this is, it's probably time now. I don't want this bird to suffer. I always hear that a million times. I don't want this bird to suffer. It, that would be cruel. Um, so I need to go ahead and euthanize this bird. How do I feel comfortable doing this? Um, the least stressful way for me as the chicken owner and, and my kids, maybe this is a whole endeavor for your kids too, for education. Uh, but um, I think he's probably going to first talk about kind of the signs to look for. Um, and then we may or may not get into, you know, humane ways that are acceptable to, to do that. But 
Dr. Pateski, thank you very much for joining us today. I do appreciate it. Hope you're uh, hanging tough out there in California. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Andy. Good, good, to, sure. good to chat with you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so first of all, congratulations on your book. That's outstanding. Number four. That's great to hear. Number four, yep. And uh, I suspect maybe uh, um, if I can get around to it, um, we'll uh, try to work on that other kind of little, I don't know what to call it, whimsical, fun, a little bit of comedy involved, th- things that every chicken owner has probably gone through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I like your water one the best so far. That was my favorite. Where the, the human was saying how smart the chicken was, and the chicken goes, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna poop in the clean water." I love that. That's brilliant. There's so. always things that that they happen. I mean, for I, we've got golf carts here, mm-hmm. and we'll be riding on the golf cart, and and they'll come a running over. Maybe they think we got some food or it's feeding time, and you're you're behind them, and you're like, "I'm not gonna run them over." I mean, I, I love my birds, but at the same time, they'll start, they'll turn around, and you're keeping going, and you know, you can run this way or you can run that way. No, they're going to stay right in front of the golf cart and run in front of it (laughs) from uh, all the way across the field instead of, you know, jarting to the left or jotting out to the right. No, I'm just going to stay right in front of it. And maybe uh, just little things like that. This is like, oh, my gosh. So whenever I hear folks, my chickens are so smart, I got to start going through my list. No, I love it. That's a very uh, Gary Larson, farsighted type of uh, theme that you're going for. I I have a, I love those cartoons. That was, that was great. I think it sounds like you're going to have a lot of fun on that, on that one. Exactly. A lot of it, again, comes from other folks and other, other posts that I see, you know, they're like, uh, they'll say something about it. Oh, that's going to be a good one. You know, I'll have to have to re re uh, rethink that one. So, uh, but yeah, thank you very much. The book, hopefully it'll do well. And a lot of people can learn from it. Good, good. Well, it's good timing. So that's, uh, I'm I'm excited for you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, difficult. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say difficult topic for a lot of folks. We get it, but but very important. Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little about about euthanasia, and I wanted to just to provide a little context. So, you know, poultry in general are farm animals, um, and the calculation that farmers make is is different than the calculation that that a backyard um chicken owner might make and and it's just important to acknowledge those those differences the farmer obviously loves their animals too that's part of the reason for becoming a farmer um healthy animals are the most productive sick animals are not productive so even if you didn't like chickens for some reason or cows or um, pigs or whatever it be um if you were just thinking purely financially, it's, it's in everyone's best interest to treat the animals uh, well. Um, and, and, and I want to kind of, I don't want to conflate two terms here. So euthanasia is different than processing. So when we slaughter an animal for processing, that, that's for its meat. When we euthanize an animal, um, that's done because of a welfare concern. Um, and that animal is not going to be used for meat. So, Two different ways to get the same outcome um, to 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 have an animal that 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 is that is dead, um, but one is with the intended purpose of food, and one is with the intended purpose of of, of ending the life and and not consuming any of, any of the meat. So it's just important to kind of not conflate the two terms. Um, the commercial kind of farmers. Um, you know, it's important to think that the calculation that they're typically thinking about is financial. 
Um, so most laying hens um, don't molt. Um, they live, you know, maybe 60 weeks or so, 70 weeks, depending on kind of economic, economic decisions. Um, and then those birds are, are slaughtered um, because they're no longer economically productive, um, not because they can't live longer. Um, they could live longer, but then you start running into, in addition to economic problems, uh, sometimes reproductive problems, some disease problems. Um, but I just want to make the point that the, the calculation, um, you know, kind of that you go through in your head, if you're a commercial farmer, is, is almost 100% related to economics. And, and that's, that's their job. They need to make money. So not, I don't have any qualms about that. But if you're a backyard owner, it's a much different calculation. So um, I just want to acknowledge that difference. As backyard chicken owners, you know, if you have five or ten birds, you know those birds. Um, they might have names, and, and obviously it becomes a little more challenging to make rational decisions in, in that scenario. Um, and we own backyard birds. Some people, you know, own them because they want to give eggs to people or they want to sell a handful of eggs. And that's where you start getting into this kind of gray area where, where some people, um, their pets and their, you know, little income or it's a way for them to interact with their, uh, their neighborhood because they give eggs to, to their neighbors. And, and that becomes, I think, a little more challenging for people then to make kind of rational decisions. Um, veterinarians in general, we're, we're, we're trained to kind of have these conversations with dog and cat owners and horse owners. Um, and then with chickens and other farm animals, it becomes uh, not, a, not a very common conversation at this point. Um, so I think a lot of that kind of falls on us to kind of think through what the ramifications are. Um, but I think a lot of the same, you know, and I'm not going to say anything that's, 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 you know, super enlightening, but I think the decision process is very similar. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think when, when people are, are, when you have hens, and, and here's where it gets really challenging. So most backyard flocks are mixed age flocks. So you have some old birds and some young birds. So in the commercial world, you have all in, all out. All the birds are the same age. Um, if one bird in your flock of 10,000 has an infectious disease, uh, usually you make the, you're, you're, you're kind of assuming that that disease has been transmitted throughout the entire barn. And now when you take a handful of birds that are gasping or wheezing, have diarrhea, you euthanize them, you do a necropsy on them. Remember, a necropsy is a fancy word for an autopsy. You open up the bird, see what's in, inside, you do some testing. And if you notice that, for example, there's an infectious disease, the, the findings you find in those one or two birds apply to what you're going to do with the remainder of the flock. And, and that the remainder of that flock could be thousands of birds in, in, in most cases. Um, so that's just an important kind of consideration to make. And I think when we think about our backyard flocks, um, we have to decide, you know, it, it's a difficult consideration because maybe our older birds are having reproductive problems, but our younger birds are fine. Maybe the older birds are more susceptible to disease um, because they're older or the genetics of that breed maybe make them a little more susceptible to, to a disease or two. So the, the, all the calculations are a little more complicated. It's not as direct a assumption. If we you know, have 10 birds, their genetics are a little different. The ages are a little different. 
and we take one or two of them to the diagnostic lab and they get necropsied and we find one's got, you know, this problem, one's got the other problem. Well, do we now treat the rest of the flock? Do we consider euthanizing the rest of the flock? Um, those, those can be somewhat challenging kind of decisions to make. And I think, you know, just in general, when we go through that kind of decision-making process, um, I think it's really important to think about the individual bird, but also to think about the flock itself. Um, so I am a veterinarian, I focus on poultry, and I'm an epidemiologist. So when I look at a flock of, of 10,000 um, or a flock of 10, I, I want to kind of have an idea about what is going on, not just at the bird level, but the flock level. I obviously don't want to take samples from 10,000 birds and submit those to a diagnostic lab and, and find out that 500 of them have uh, infectious bronchitis or, or whatever it be, right? Um, mm -hmm. that, that would be inefficient um, and, and, and then obviously somewhat redundant. Um, and the same thing goes for 10 birds. I don't want to take 10 birds um, and, and take five birds from the flock. Oh, can you hear me okay? Yep, yep. Oh, okay, just making sure I heard some background there. Um, I don't want to take 10 birds and, and uh, of a 10-bird flock. I don't want to take five birds and submit them to a diagnostic lab for necropsy because, hey, I might find out exactly what's wrong with those birds, but now I just euthanized half my flock to do that. So, mm -hmm. so we have to be practical and pragmatic, and, and I, I'm not saying anything that anyone doesn't know, but um, it, it is a challenge with smaller flocks, especially with all the, the confounders of age and breed and, um, uh, and those kind of issues. So you, you have to decide at some level, am I looking at, you want to look at both the flock and the individual birds to kind of make decisions. And, and some decisions are going to be made at the flock level. So if we're dealing with virulent Newcastle disease or we're dealing with infectious laryngeotracheitis. If one of our birds in our flock has that, we're, we're pretty confident um, that, that the, because those diseases are so infectious that the rest of the flock has to be, we have to assume that the rest of the flock is positive for that, that disease. Uh, in, in contrast, if we had 10 birds, and like I said earlier, the oldest bird is egg bound, um, which is somewhat common as a reproductive problem that older birds have or the older bird has some kind of tumor, um, or a younger bird has a tumor consistent with Merrick's disease, um, but the older birds are fine. In that scenario, then, then it's much more appropriate to think of birds individually instead of at the flock level. So the challenging part of backyard birds relative to, to commercial birds is that we kind of have to know a little about the disease, know a little about the husbandry, is it a nutritional disease, reproductive disease, um, infectious disease, and, and based on that, we're going to kind of then decide, are we dealing with the individual bird issue? And then I'm only going to look at the birds in that flock of 10 that, that you know, are younger and might have Merrick's disease or showing clinical signs of Merrick's disease and, and not do anything to the older birds because older birds typically don't get uh, Merrick's disease. Um, or am I going to look at the, that entire flock of 10 because we're dealing with something that, that, that uh, is, is, is most likely uh, present in the entire flock. So things to think about overall quality of life. So not, you know, sometimes that's the overall quality of life of the bird or the overall quality of life of the flock. So I, I've had a couple uh, just neighbors in Davis or friends of friends that had some uh, uh, Merrick's disease, uh, a chicken that, that most likely had Merrick's disease. 
And, you know, they were kind of hobbling around because they get these tumors in their sciatic nerve and they're hobbling around. And I was asking him, I'm like, well, is, is the bird able to eat and drink and, and pee and, and, and poop? And the owner's like, yeah. And I'm like, is, is it getting picked on? Is there a pecking order issue? And they're like, eh, not really. And I'm like, yeah, just keep it around. Like and, until, until those, those, that bird can't eat or drink, can't poop or it's getting pecked on, you know, just because it's limping around, um, in my mind, kind of doesn't justify we don't we don't need to euthanize it maybe eventually we do but but not at that point um you know versus a scenario where we're dealing with an infectious disease um and and now we've got a much more flock-based decision to make so the overall quality of the bird and the flock are important things to consider um you know one thing i always tell owners and and and, and it's, owners are better at this than than veterinarians is, is you know you can when the, when the bad days outnumber the good days. So it's, I, mm. I, I love our dog and, you know, I, with dogs and cats, I think it's a little easier to using a fancy word anthropomorphize to kind of put human characteristics on animals. So mm -hmm. we can kind of tell with our dogs when they're, when they're happy and sad chickens, man, that's a hard one. I am not a, uh, a chicken behaviorist and there are people that are great at that. But, but I think mm -hmm. owners know it better because owners can kind of tell like, yep, this chicken's not doing, you know, it's kind of a little strut that it does every morning. Um, but there are some measurable things that you can look at. So, you know, I'm, I'm very data centric. So uh, how is the bird eating and drinking? Well, people will say, well, I, it's eating. I don't know how much it ate before. So that's when we start running into problems uh, when we're not kind of keeping some track. And, and we've talked about this in the past of, of how much bird, how much feed our flock is going through how much water our flock's going through, so we can kind of make an assessment there. Are they laying eggs? If Once a hen, for example, starts becoming egg-bound, um, you sure you might solve that first issue. Um, you might add some Vaseline. You might gently you know, put the bird in a dark area, water bath, all those kind of things. Um, there's some, there's some, some research that supports, you know, IV injections of, of, of uh, uh, I think, oxytocin and calcium. Um, anyway, be that as it may, once you solve that one issue, is that chicken going to become egg bound again? Probably. Um, so once you get past that emergency, you have to kind of start thinking about like, okay, what are we going to do the next time this happens? Do we want to consider euthanasia before it happens again? Because um, once you become egg bound and, it's, and if you, you dodge that bullet once, you're, you're most likely going to have that bullet come back multiple times. And, and that egg bound hens are, is an emergency. Um, mm -hmm. So, when those good days are outnumbered by the bad days, I mean, that's, that's a, a calculation that I think owners are best at making, um, especially at an individual bird level as opposed to a flock level. Um, but making sure that birds are able to eat and drink and go to the bathroom regularly. I mean, those are things that all animals, you know, I, I think are, are obviously are keen to do. Most animals are pretty clean, so they don't, they don't like pooping where they're sleeping. Um, so just something to consider there. Um, understanding the disease status of your bird uh, and the risk reward is really important to kind of consider. Um, so if we're dealing, you know, unfortunately in poultry, most infectious diseases are not treatable. Um, some are, um, and um, there's some antibiotics that, that, are, that are efficacious and are appropriate to use um, and, and that we get a, a very good um, uh, result from. But you know, viruses, we don't really have good treatments for viruses in, in humans, let alone poultry. Um, and uh, even many of the bacteria, um, you know, especially in older birds, 
Um, you know, there's a saying in, in medicine, do something quick so when they get better, you can take credit for, for, what, uh, for, for when they get better. So a lot of the times I know, you know, someone says, hey, my chicken's sick. I gave it apple cider vinegar and voila, it was better. Well, obviously, you know, if there's no, the reality is the chicken probably got better because it's got a, this amazing immune system and it was a young, healthy uh, hen or rooster, or whatever it be, and it, and it got better on its own. And, and you know, you just you happen to add some, some apple cider vinegar there in the middle. Um, and obviously that's why we have controlled studies and those kind of things to kind of account for those type of things. Um, mm-hmm. But it is important to think about, you know, what's the disease that we're dealing with? If it's nutritional and let's say we're dealing with, um, you know, uh, eggs that are, that are breaking um, and we're like, man, we're getting a lot of broken eggs. And some of these eggs, some of our flock now is uh, some of the eggs are, are cracking inside the hen, which causes these big cholebacillosis E. coli infections. Well, we can fix that, right? That's, that's a calcium issue, and, and that's, that's totally fixable. Some bacterial diseases we can totally treat. So, um, you know, kind of bang for your buck. Those, those make a lot of sense to treat after you've kind of diagnosed the problem, um, especially in younger birds. And, and going back to the commercial example, you know, if it's close to Easter time, that's, that's when egg prices start spiking, right? Um, there's, there's more... Uh, demand for the supply that's out there. So there's always a very consistent increase in egg prices around, around Easter time. So, so a farmer is going to make a completely different decision close to Easter time about the, you know, how much longer they want to keep their flock around than they are, let's say right now, for example. Um, so, so just a slightly different consideration to, to make. Um, but it is, it is, those are all the kinds of things that you kind of want to kind of start thinking through and, it is hard to think through every iteration of every, of every question. And, and veterinarians, you know, for the most part, are very good at, at being practical and pragmatic. So, um, you know, we're, we're trained to not specifically say what we would do in the situation, um, but we can certainly, you know, hopefully a good veterinarian is going to give you multiple options and tell you, hey, the, these are the scenarios that, that you need to kind of consider and the realities that you need to consider. And, I think we're veterinarians. I think we're, we're especially some of the small animal veterinarians are kind of challenged is thinking about the flock instead of the individual bird. So as veterinarians, we're, we're taught in veterinary school to treat each animal and, and find out what's wrong with them and treat them individually. And, and that's a little harder um, to, to do on a flock or herd level. And, and at the herd level, flock level, we're trained to think, you know, as a, as a population um, and treating that population. Um, so, so those are some things that, that I think we, we should consider. I, I wanted to, to briefly go over some of the methods of euthanasia that are okay. approved. Um, yeah. and, and again, I want to separate that out from processing. So, um, you know, processing is, is slightly different. And you talked kind of about kill cones and, and um, you know, kill cones are, are that's the reason we use a kill cone um, is not because it's humane. We use a kill cone because it is a, a very simple, efficient way to process the bird and get rid of the blood. Um, because um, if we have the blood in the bird, then we get you know this kind of red bird kind of syndrome, and, and that's um, that's not that's a problem when it comes to the uh, the quality of the meat. Um, so if we're just trying to euthanize the bird, um, you know, one thing. Um, First of all, the maceration point that you made is 100% mm-hmm. true. So in, in mm-hmm. chicks, um, it sounds terrible, um, again, anthropomorphizing, to put a chick through a, a, basically the equivalent of like a wood chipper, 
Um, but in chicks, it is AVMA approved. And I can't remember what the definition is. Is it 10 days or five days? I'd have to look at the, the laws on that. But um, when you do have to euthanize tens of thousands of birds because of avian influenza, virulent Newcastle disease, whatever it be, um, that is um, an AVMA approved um, method. But it does get challenging when you're dealing with large, 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 large flocks and, and hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands and, and millions of birds, um, how, to, how to deal with that. And remember, disease, especially infectious diseases, viruses can't replicate in dead cells. They can only replicate in live cells. So the longer you keep that flock around that has you know, foreign animal disease, the more likely you are for that disease to spread from that flock to other flocks. So um, efficiency really needs to be important in order to squash um, how a disease transmits, you know, in, 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 in any kind of scenario, but especially in, 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 uh, in commercial settings and, and especially in backyard settings too, because you don't have the same biosecurity. Uh, sometimes these are very in urban areas. So um, you, you want to do things quickly and as humanely as possible. So a couple of methods of, of, of euthanasia. So the one that I'm in backyard situations that I'm, you know, as, as a veterinarian most comfortable with is cervical dislocation. Um, so the problem with cervix, the great thing about cervical dislocation is that if it's done properly, it's considered humane um, by AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association, among other groups. Um, however, it's often not done properly, and, and the only way to learn to do it properly is to do it improperly. So you eventually will learn um, kind of a technique, and you'll learn what it feels like. Um, but you're basically stretching the neck and dislocating the joint at the base of the skull, which causes the spinal cord and those blood vessels to break. Um, so um, there are some, I don't know if I'd say there, I don't know if there's YouTube videos on it, but there's definitely descriptions of it. I'm going to, I'm going to mention a couple other ways to euthanize a bird humanely. And then after that, you, people could actually go through the, the kind of practicing cervical dislocation. A couple mm-hmm. things about cervical dislocation that I, that I kind of want to mention. Um, it takes some practice, obviously. Um, I think we're, we're um, it's, it's a, once you get the hang of it, it it's, it's a very humane and quick way to euthanize a bird. Um, I try not to do it in front of owners for two reasons. Um, one is that the bird after they're dead, and I always tell owners this, and it's, it's their decision if they want to watch or not, but after I've done the cervical dislocation, um, there are reflexes, um, and the bird can still, um, um, basically, it'll go through all kinds of spasms in its wings and things like that, and, and it can look to some owners um, like the bird is in pain. It's gone already by that time, and I always warn owners even mm-hmm. farmers that, hey, after I do this, just so you know, this is what we're going to see. And, you know, on a farm, I'll often do that. And then I'll do a necropsy on the bird just to see what you can see grossly as far as, you know, are there any mm-hmm. uh, gross lesions or problems in the you know, liver or signs of disease, infectious disease, nutritional disease, whatever it be. Um, so, so I'll go through that, that process. Now, one other option that, that's to consider, like, which I – oh, sorry, go on. Like you, yeah. that, that – uh, no, sorry, that um, – People, I think, out there listening or contribute that to, again, you have the the old fan movie or whatever. They're out in the country. They're in the log cabin, and you know, 
mom goes out to get dinner and, you know, she grabs the chicken by the neck and kind of twists it around and then it flops on the ground after that. So, you know, that I think people listening to you talking about the cervical dislocation, that that uh, those muscle issues of the bird kind of, again, flapping around. I think a lot of people are, 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 are um, in their mind thinking about that picture of, you know, picking it up, twisting the neck like the old days when it's time for dinner. Um, and, and then doing that. So I also want to make a comment that um, and I, I've heard this so many times about, and you, you kind of talked about it, the cervical dislocation. You could call it a skill, you know, doing it the, the right way, learning how to do it the right way, feeling what's going to happen. And that right there is the reason why, I, this is no kidding, I see more people that say I could, I, I feel like I could, and then they follow through with it. Um, literally set my chicken that I love dearly, these are pet chicken folks, on a cinder block and then just take an axe to, to, to the neck. Because they, 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 then they, they don't have to feel anything. They're not feeling the cracking or the popping or twisting of the neck or any of that. And, that, and that's that's the thing. I think that's why the uh, cervical dislocation, though, again, is probably again, the most popular, if you want to call it that way, to do, you know, to do that. I think for the Pet chicken folks, just from things I've experienced over over a decade, that snap, crackle, pop, and the feeling of that, that grosses them out. So it's like they, they, I've literally seen many of them say, I could literally just with an axe kind of and I'm done with it versus feeling that and physically doing it with my hands, even though they're still, you know, pulling an axe down on. So I know people out there listening are kind of shaking their head. Yep, that's that's true, because I've seen that over the years so many times. So I just wanted to address that, What you know, when you do the cervical location and the flipping and the flopping and people, what, what I think people are visualizing with that and then why this may be not the most popular way to do it for especially the pet folks and or anybody mm-hmm. who's kind of squeamish, squeamish because of what they're going to feel. You know, I'm going to feel the popping in there. I've got to, you know, okay, I'm going to count to 10 and I'm going to do it. And then they count to 10 and, and they don't. <laughs> no, this time I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it this time. And then they go and they, no, I can't do it. Cause they're just, you know, that, that feeling and the, that they're going to feel and then hear that type of thing. So, um, and people out there I know are shaking their heads because I've seen it so many times, but no, carry on. Yep, I just under, understand. <laughs> No, that's that's I completely understand, and and certainly, I mean, you you you'd be kind of inhuman if if you didn't, uh, especially for an animal that you know, um, if mm-hmm. that if it if it's not an uncomfortable thing to do. It's certainly not why I became a veterinarian, but but you know, as a vet, I also recognize the reality of of um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of welfare and and what's in the best interest of that of the animal as far as euthanasia and the, kind of the idea and 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 kind of you know um, spirit, if you will, of of, of doing euthanasia. Um, yeah, so one other, um, first of all, one thing about cervical dislocation, if you have turkeys, um, or, you know, if you are, um, I don't know, if if you have really big birds, cervical dislocation is is really hard. So for, for, if we're dealing with ostriches, which, you know, some people um, process for meat, um, turkeys, obviously, um, you know, which are a little more seasonal in the United States. Um, doing cervical dislocation of those birds, man, you got to be really strong. I, I am not strong enough or big enough um, to to um, to do some, especially the turkey toms. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that those are forty pound birds, um, mm-hmm. and you're really applying a significant amount of force and leverage, um, and and it becomes very challenging what to do for small farmers um, in those kind of scenarios. That that's a much that's a 
slightly different topic because that's not, you know, for the most part, the audience that we have on probably, but, but it is just something to be aware of. You can't always apply, you know, the principles of, of, of chickens to, to bigger birds, just as an FYI. Um, the, the one method I did want to mention, it, it costs just a little more money, um, and, but it is um, a much more comfortable um, thing to do, um, is, is using carbon dioxide or a similar gas. Um, so mm -hmm. some people, um, some of the welfare folks um, who are you know, academics will say, oh, carbon dioxide is not good, use argon. Well, I don't know where you get argon. Carbon dioxide is a little easier to get. Um, but, um, carbon dioxide is, um, is basically all you're doing is, is suffocating the birds. Um, and it is not as physically, obviously, um, intrusive in the sense, in the same way that, that cervical dislocation is. So the way that, like, if you send your, your backyard chicken or your commercial chicken to a diagnostic lab, because you want it to have necropsies, you want it to be necropsied, typically what they'll do, you'll drive, you know, the chicken to the lab. Um, you'll drop it off, and, and the way that they will euthanize them is through CO2, carbon uh, dioxide. And, and what they'll actually do is they take a trash can, like a Rubbermaid trash can that's you know, 30 gallons or so, and they'll stick one to you know, maybe five birds in there at the most, uh, gently place them in there, put the lid on the, on the Rubbermaid uh, trash can, and then they've got a hose um, that's attached to a CO2 tank. They turn the CO2 tank on. Uh, see, you know, they get a cup of coffee or whatever, come back in five minutes, and, and those birds are, are euthanized at that point. Now, um, for folks that have backyard birds and that are, can consistently have backyard birds, and this is something that, you know, is a reality that, that they're just going to have to deal with, um, to me, that's a, a relatively light investment. Um, and it, it, especially if you're squeamish about cervical dislocation, then, then I would really recommend the carbon dioxide. I've had some people say, well, what if we use dry ice? Because uh, dry ice, obviously the vapors of dry ice are CO2. Um, what if we, um, instead of buying that tank or renting that CO2 tank, what if we use dry ice? I, I've heard from one other person that, that that could also be difficult because the dry ice itself is so sticky that the birds could get, their feathers could get stuck to it, and now you're dealing with a welfare issue. Um, so as a CO2 source, it would work, but you'd have to engineer something that makes sure that the birds don't come into contact with that dry ice because we, we've all had those burns, at least I have, um, working in a lab where, um, you know, our fingers touch that dry ice, and, man, that hurts, and that's how they get, like, worked off and stuff like that. So um, anyway, just something, you know, there, there are doers of, of, of uh, liquid nitrogen, well, not liquid nitrogen, but, but you can get um, 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 CO2 in, in all kinds of different forms. We just need to be cautious of, of how you are um, working with it. And I like the tank idea, um, um, but have to confess, I don't know how much those tanks are and if you rent them or how it works. If it's like propane where you just go back and forth um, and, and fill them up. But something to consider that the thing I also like about CO2 is that once the birds are dead, um, you can then take them out of there and you can do the cervical dislocation. And now there's no welfare. You're, you're basically the birds nice and limp for you. And you can, you can, you can practice that until you really feel comfortable doing that on a live bird. So um, I, I like that method a lot. When we've done workshops in the past with uh, farmers um, and other type folks, um, some of those workshops, um, we do cervical dislocation. And, and the way that we get around some of the questions that the university will have with respect to welfare considerations 
is that we'll euthanize them first in CO2, and then the people can kind of fiddle and like get that feel. Because the first couple times you're like, did I do it? You know, some people use too much force and the head comes off and it, it can get kind of messy and, and for some people very, very traumatic. So I, I like the CO2 quite a bit. And that's what the diagnostic labs will use. I'm sure there's some vet hospitals that'll do the same thing. Um, and and the, speaking of vet hospitals, you know, the one thing that I am not comfortable with, at least I have never done, is, is use a euthanasia solution on a chicken. So the euthanasia solution is that pink kind of, they call it the pink juice um, that they'll use on horses and dogs and cats. Um, and it has to be injected uh, intravenously in, into, a, into a vein. Now that's really easy on a horse and a dog and a cat. Uh, chickens are much harder to do that with. Their, their veins collapse. Birds' veins are not made the same way that mammals are. Um, so they're, they're just a little weaker. And, you know, holding chickens down, especially for small animal vets that aren't used to kind of working with chickens all the time, might be a little more challenging. Um, there's obviously avian um, um, veterinarians that, that are probably really good at it. Um, but it, it is a slightly more fraught kind of methodology in my mind. But, um, you know, certainly approved. But one thing you just need to always make sure, if you ever, you know, once a bird or any animal euthanizes that euthanasia solution, um, you, you cannot eat that bird at all, so obviously, um, because now that mm -hmm. is a, a very clear distinction between euthanasia and processing. So, so that bird now is, um, has a controlled drug inside it, and, and obviously liver and kidneys aren't there to, to metabolize that drug, so... Um, just something to be aware of. You, you can't get, you can't use them for, that's why I don't like conflating those, those two terms. Cause I think sometimes it, it, it can be a little confusing for folks. Um, yeah. Sorry. Question. No, uh, yeah, I was going to, I was yeah. going to go to a commercial break real quick, but I also want to know, like when we had the big, um, even, um, uh, the bird flu H H1 and one influenza back a few years ago here in the States that, um, using foam and this goes back to commercial uh using yeah. the foam foam in the houses is that is there anything in that foam or is it the process of just the foam basically suffocating the birds or is there a chemical in the foam that assists with that yeah so great question so um that foam um is is a fire retardant basically um so and and mm -hmm. you're suffocating the birds with the foam so okay. um, works very well. It, it just, I, let me just say one quick story that, that is slightly amusing at some level. If, if you're, if you have a macabre mm -hmm. sense of humor, like I think some mm -hmm. of us do, but um, so uh, when we did have that outbreak, um, there was a uh, incident where um, they, they tried using it on turkey toms and uh, turkey toms are, are the male turkeys and they're really tall. They're a little taller than the, than the, than the, mm -hmm. than the female turkeys. Um, and long story short, the, the foam went right up to basically their, their, their chin and, and the turkey toms were able to just go right above that to survive. So they, they learned the hard way that the foam will, will only kind of create a meringue, you know, kind of that, that, that uh, foaming kind of only up to a certain height and turkey toms, especially mature adult turkey toms are, are not a non-effective uh, kind of way to use the foam to, to euthanize. So anyway, that might be a good So yeah, answer. I can see that. I can see I can see walking in. Yeah, I can see walking into that house and just you looking to see the sea of foam and then all these little 
the, the turkey heads just looking at you, you know, turn, turn, turn their head up at you like, what, what, what's going on? Hey, what's, what's, what's yeah, all exactly. this going on? I can see yeah. it. I can see it right now. I'm going to go to a quick commercial break. We'll come back and then uh, we'll wrap it up. We've got about 10, 15 minutes left. And uh, again, we're discussing as if you, if you joined us halfway through uh, a topic that while we feel everybody uh, needs to know everybody who buys chickens, everybody who has keeps chickens, pet chickens, meat, whatever. Uh, it's everybody one. If you keep it for any length of time, you're gonna because we see the questions posted in the groups. Um, when when is it time to euthanize? And then if I choose to, what's the uh, a more humane way to do that? And there are some humane ways that still. Uh, are are not going to be for everybody and we're talking about today. So we hope you'll stay with us. There's a few more minutes left. You don't want to miss any of it. We'll be back right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. 
Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All right, a couple of more things I want to share with you. I just went ahead, instead of having another commercial break, kind of ran them all together uh, so we could uh, get that done. And then we could concentrate on wrapping up the show here with uh, signs it's time to euthanize your chickens. And um, I wanted a, a couple of different uh, sponsors I wanted to share uh, with you. Number one was... Uh, I'm getting tons of feedback, continue to get tons of feedback from uh, Chick Fresh, that product that uh, we uh, uh, actually tested here for about six months before it went on the market. Now, it's been on the market for a while. Uh, yes, you can find it on Amazon. Just check uh, and look for Chick Fresh Odor Control. And uh, I actually had a, a message from them earlier this week that um, things are really, really looking good uh, for the company and that product. In fact, they've got some more products that are coming out that I hope to also test here and use here on the homestead and then share with you uh, as they're coming out or even before they come out and, and are available. But this is a product to where I can easily say, don't just take my word for it. Go look at the reviews. Go look and talk. Anytime I ever post about this product, whether it's uh, odor control in your brooder or your or your coop, um, there'll be other folks that will chime in saying, this stuff is awesome. I use it in my cat litter box. I use it in my little plastic garbage can in the kitchen. I spray my farm truck seats with it, whatever the case may be. Um, all natural product using, again, enzymes. But um, check them out. And they've got a 24-ounce bottle, I believe. No, it's a yeah, 20 uh 24 ounce bottle but they also have like a four ounce concentrate that makes five 24 ounce bottles and that's what we use in our big coop here instead of having a little spray bottle like you would a little uh for, for breeze or something uh that size bottle um since I have a huge 10 by 20 coop, I actually got four coops on the property. Uh, I'll mix that one. I think it's a four ounce bottle of concentrate in a one gallon sprayer uh, and then mix it up. And it, it works fantastic. And uh, we've used it even in our rabbit hutches. Uh, I've used it on my truck seats. I don't even think they advertise it for that. <laughs> and then, of course, I use it in my kitchen garbage can. So I want to share about that product with you and go check them out. The other is um, there were, I know, a little earlier, some shortages of um, – uh, shavings at the farm stores. And I, I want you to start looking a little closer because I know one of our sponsors, American Wood Fibers, AWF, uh, and, and they make, uh, in fact, they're actually, and we're still testing and we're still, they're trying to come up with, I think they've, I think they've mastered it. They're just looking at distribution now, an odor control shaving. Y'all, y'all old, old folks that have been following me for a long time, the old, old listeners and old fans that have been around for a while. You know, last year, year before you saw me testing these products, they're the ones that are developing this odor control shaving. Um, but when, when your farm stores are out, 
don't bypass and not look at, like, for example, my Ingles, an Ingles right up the road, Ingles grocery store. I was in there uh, probably during, well, it was during the pandemic. And I was standing there in the checkout line, and they had stacks and stacks of shavings from AWF. And I was like, hey, I didn't know Ingles carried your, your product. So, um, you know, oh, guess what? Tax supply didn't have them. The farm store didn't have them. Or this place didn't have them. Uh, next time you're in Ingles, ch- take a look because they had shavings. Uh, at large bales of animal shavings from American Wood Fibers, AWF, and the other is um, Walmart. I know everybody hates to, and they bad talk Walmart. Next thing you know, you see them in Walmart. Hey, weren't you just talking bad about Walmart on, on your Facebook page? Oh, what are you doing here? So I get it. You know, um, you like Walmart, you don't like Walmart, but lo and behold, guess what? Next thing you know, you're in Walmart buying something. So um, Walmart also has the uh, American Wood Fibers shavings, and they're everywhere. Um, so if you live close to Walmart, you can you can check that out. And then lastly, um, next Thursday, um, I've got a, um, uh, a company coming on to talk about their um, um, grubs, their black soldier fly larva. So that'll be next week's show, just to give you a little heads up regarding that. And then there was one more thing I wanted to share with you guys. Um, oh, yeah, and I think the first show in September is actually going to be a uh, even though they've been a, um, a premier sponsor for a few months now. I think the first show in September, um, I'm going to bring on Tucker Milling, and we're going to talk about the big feed switch that we've done here at the homestead. Because you know I've been with several feed companies throughout the 12, 15 years that I've been traveling the country and educating folks, and and we've done and I've used them all. Um, but this 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 relationship is a little different. This is the first probably the first sponsor, especially the first feed sponsor that I have actually approached. Uh, all the others, whether it be the Dumore or the Purina or the Mana Pro or the Kalmbach, uh, this is the first feed company that I actually reached out to. It was a slow process and said, hey, um, I think there's a great relationship here that we can work together and why I chose them from results I saw here on my farm. Um, In fact, I think the folks that I was initially talking to had never even heard of me or the Chicken Whisperer. Um, And uh, it doesn't affect all of you. They're in the Southeast. Uh, I think there are nine states here in the the Southeast, so a lot of you won't even be able to get their product. Uh, But if you do live in the Southeast, it's a really, I think, a fascinating story of how we became connected and how um, it's not just, hey, we'll pay you so much per month for you to advertise our food, and we'll give you some food to use as well. So this is a very unique um, situation. I'm very proud to have them on board because I saw the effects firsthand here on the farm with all of my livestock, and I'll, t- I'll explain kind of how I started using their food uh, and, then, and then the results I saw and how that in- encouraged me to make that first email saying, hey, together, and I think it makes for a really good story for real people out there that say, hey, unlike, again, maybe some of the bloggers, you know, you get contacted, hey, I'll give you so much a month if you'll provide our product. Sure, I've never used it before, but I'll do that. Give me your money. And you know that we're not like that here. I'm not like that um, because we've pretty much had the same 12 to 15 sponsors for the last 12 years. Um, I turned down a lot just because their product is quackery or what have you. But um and, and then they stick with us uh, because they like and, and appreciate what we're doing. But I'm going to share that story, I think, the 1st of September uh, about Tucker Milling and how we became, uh, uh, how we started working together. And I think you'll really appreciate that 
as a consumer and as a longtime listener of, of the show. So back, uh, we'll wrap it up here in about uh, the next 10 minutes. We've got um, poultry veterinarian Dr. Pateski. We're talking about, it. again, a little uh, touchy slash emotional topic about signs it's time to euthanize your chicken or your chickens or your entire flock. And if you missed any of it, this will be archived for your listening pleasure probably 10 minutes after the show, uh, the live show ends. So, Dr. Pateski, back to you. Yep. Great. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so um, we kind of went over uh, cervical dislocation, carbon dioxide, and, and then the IV injection. Um, so the cervical dislocation, the carbon dioxide, um, certainly appropriate to, um, to consider. Um, obviously, the, uh, the injection of the euthanasia solution. The euthanasia solution is a controlled drug, so that's where you would need to work with the, the veterinarian. But my, my preference is to stay away from that, that option. Um, just because I, I think there's other options that are less expensive, um, you know, easier, um, and um, I, I don't think we need to 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 to, to use that um, so much in birds, um, at least in, in poultry, from my perspective. Um, I just wanted to mention what's not considered humane and safe: so gunshots, decapitation, uh, thoracic compression, basically just just force. Um, I, there's actually someone I just uh, was talking to. Um, who had, and I don't think I heard the whole story, but for some reason he used a shovel to euthanize um, 120 birds on their on their small kind of pastured farm. Um, so that that was um, first of all, like that's a lot of work. Um, and a shovel as your way to do that as blunt force trauma with a shovel. Yeah, yeah, apparently. Um, so yeah, um, the county Jeez. had to have uh, some kind of investigation, all these other things going on. But I, I can't think of any. I, I'm hoping I, you know, am, am, uh, ho- hopefully I'm, I'm butchering, no pun intended, the story. Um, but, but my what I was told, it was that was what happened, which just sounds terrible, but also sounds really inefficient. Like for I mean, this is a commercial farmer. Um, obviously much smaller one. Um, and you know, we all, I don't know what happened, but, but my point is that there's better ways, um, to do it than other, than you know, compression or blunt force trauma. Um, decapitation is really unsafe for, for not just you, um, but you know, people around you. Um, and, and there have been some studies, you know, that, that have, you know, people have tried all these things, um, you know, just when we have surveys for people to complete. Um, so people do try to use these things and, you know, there, there is a way to do it. It, it, it. And if people are, you know, there's all kinds of unique situations, you know, some people are handicapped or they live in areas where access to veterinarians challenging. But, um, you know, one of the things I really love about being on your show, I'm, I'm amazed by how many people uh, contact me from listening to your show and, and then say, well, I'm not from California, but I have this question. And, um, you know, of course, I'm, I'm always willing to help folks. So um, people can always reach out to me and, and I can certainly um, try to point people in the right direction. And, you know, just by personality, it's, it's not, you know, I'm never going to tell anyone you have to do it this way. I, I'm going to give people options. And, and obviously, it's at the end of the day, um, their decision to, to do what, what they what they what they feel is best. But um, you know, it, it's good to have to your point, it, it's not always a fun discussion, but it's good to have these discussions beforehand, just like, um, you know, I, I think you've alluded to it in the past where, where people, um, you know, kind of post on their social media, I got birds, now what do I do? And you're like, oh, God, like <laughs> now we have to think, you know, that, 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 that kind of happened, should have happened the other way around. But yeah. um, so same thing, you know, this is the kind of stuff you want to plan for in advance. Um, 
So you don't need like a living trust or anything like that for your birds, but uh, you know, you don't have to worry about all the, all the things that, that we have to worry about when we get older. But um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's nice to be prepared for when these inevitable things happen. And the reality is it always happens in a way that you're like, Oh shoot, I didn't, I didn't think about that scenario or that scenario, but, but at least you went over some of the basics and, and you know mm-hmm. kind of who to call, who to reach out to, what your, what your plan is and um, kind of go from there. Um, the other thing I want to mention, this will sound silly to folks, but some people do want to collect the remains of, of their, of their chicken. Um, so, um, you know, there are a couple options. Again, this is like one of those topics that no one likes talking about, but if you have literally just a handful of birds, whatever that handful is defined as, um, in, in your mind, you can double bag the birds and put them in the trash. Um, so it is like chicken, right? So, um, you're just taking a, a whole chicken and putting it in the trash. So, um, a rotisserie yeah, chicken that, that you exactly. I, I, I'll talk. You know, you're you're right. It's amazing how many people will have that question too. Like, what? Uh, I found a chicken dead in the coop this morning. What What do I do with it? And then you have all those answers. Yeah. You had, well, I buried it, or I put it in the compost pile, or I burned it, or I just I put it in the garbage can like I did that rotisserie chicken I finished last night for supper. Um, so you get yep. all these all these answers about what what to do with that dead chicken, and and uh, you, you, it is. It's amazing how many people will ask that question now forums yep no absolutely and you know in california um especially the central valley of california where i am um our groundwater is very shallow so um you know if, if a farmer you know, if you're going to bury one one or two chickens I'm, I'm not opposed to that but we have very strict rules for all kinds of good reasons on um on on how deep you can bury things and how much carbon and nitrogen you can really put in the soil um, because our groundwater in some places is, is just a meter down, just, just uh, three feet down. Um, so, so I think sometimes people make it more complicated than it's supposed to be, and, and they actually cause more problems by doing that. Now, if we've got hundreds or thousands of birds, that's when you, know, you start working with landfills and rendering facilities and, and those type of places, um, which are, are, are more equipped to handle that. Uh, rendering facilities, just so people know, um, there, there's at least in California, we don't have very many of them, and and they don't typically like working with poultry. Poultry are a little a little more challenging sometimes. Now, some uh, companies, some poultry processing companies, will actually uh, render. They'll have their own rendering facilities, um, and the interesting thing about that is um, they they will collect the bone meal from the rendering facility, and the bone meal goes back into the chickens because it's so high in calcium. So. Um, there is this amazing ability to recycle um, that, that, that material. So um, just something to be aware of. There's also incinerators. So a lot of commercial farms will have an incinerator on the farm because um, if you have a bird or two or three or four and they don't want to put in the trash or, or you know, they, 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 maybe their trash is a little more regulated because of, of, of being a large commercial operation, um, they will have incinerators to address that. And they're also trying to deal probably with some disease control issues. Uh, landfills are a great, you know, kind of option. So that's the trash, for, especially for small amount of birds, like your rotisserie comment. I, I love that. that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, if you have more than, you know, X amount of birds, whatever, whatever your, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of birds is. At that point, I would probably just reach out to the landfill and just say, you know, hey, I've got some birds. What, what's the what's the procedure here? And landfills are really amazing places. I mean, they 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 know how to handle all this stuff. And you know, the one thing that that they probably don't recognize the most is that landfills obviously have a lot of birds that are 
um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of looking for all kinds of little snacks. So if your birds did die of a disease um, and for some reason you have to take them to the landfill, um, I would really make sure that they understand to cover up the birds after they are dumped um, because we want to prevent um, any wild birds from, from uh, being exposed to whatever infectious disease, the disease uh, that those, those, those euthanized birds might have been exposed to. So just something to consider. You know, we, those are the things we think about when we do uh, foreign animal diseases, you know, virulent Newcastle, uh, avian influenza, because we really need to prevent that, that virus from, from getting into uh, the wild bird population that's kind of in that local or regional area. Mm-hmm. Um, but all kinds of things just to think about. But, but in general, you know, double bagging the birds, putting them in the trash, I don't think anyone has any objection to that, um, to, your, to, your, to your kind of rotisserie comment, which I love. That was a very practical way of thinking through it. Um, so other than that, those were kind of the main considerations. I think, you know, we, we could have a, um, you can kind of, you know, have another discussion that this would dovetail into where you can think about processing and kill cones. And, um, you know, I think one of the really interesting things when people do their own processing of dead birds, or uh, dead birds, of, of older birds, is that you can see some of the interesting diseases that, that are, that are kind of common um, kind of pop up in some of the organs. You can see some tumors. Um, you know, one of the things as birds get older, if they're not diseased or they're not, they don't have a zoonotic disease, those older birds to our Western taste buds are not <clears throat> very, um, the, the meat is not as tender as, as we're used to, but um, those older birds, especially laying hens, old laying hens make um, apparently excellent stew, stewing hens. Um, so, you know, trying to bring the cycle around, you know, you, you've got your, your laying hen and you've got eggs for, you know, months to years. Um, and now that bird's no longer productive. Um, some of us have processed those birds and we're like, oh, the meat's not very good. Um, but uh, some people like certain organ meats um, and which are, you know, very rich in different vitamins and things like that and calories, which is good in, in some scenarios. Um, but some people also like the, the bones and the meat itself just as a, as a way to make kind of bullion and, and things like that. So it's just something to kind of be aware of. I know some farmers, especially some of the organic farmers, um, they, they will get paid um, by some of the soup companies and local and national soup companies um, for their for their stewing hens. So um, there is a way to kind of bring all this full cycle again to your, your earlier point at the beginning of the show on on being, uh, you know, kind of self-sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. I, I, it going, it's funny going through this as much as we've talked about necropsies and that I live like 20 minutes away from uh, the state poultry lab here um, that going through this kind of prepping for the show and going through my intro uh, that process didn't even enter as, as not necessarily just a choice, but you know, if you've got the diseased birds or you have that bird that's already deceased or you have a couple that deceased and a live bird, take it over to the, the state lab for the necropsy. And that, that term actually never entered my mind when we were talking about, you know, signs it's time to euthanize or, or ways to euthanize, and uh, which, which again, kind of surprised me. I was like, oh, yeah, I can't imagine. I didn't think about that because we talk about necropsies all the time and, and the importance of those and um, that I'm over at ours every now and then just talking with them to see what's new. So uh, thank you for, for <laughs> putting that into the mix uh, as well for everybody because uh, I think that's important for folks to, to have that option to figure out why the other birds are collapsing out in, in their backyard or on their homestead. So um, 
thanks Dr. Potesky for coming on today, and uh, we'll see you next month. He's on the second Thursday of every month from 2 to 3 p.m., and he's also a longtime contributor for Chicken Whisperer Magazine. You can go and see all his articles uh, that he's ever done uh, in the magazine at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. So thank you very much, and uh, um, continue to uh, survive out there in California with the uh, pandemic and everything else that's going on, my friend. Yeah, everyone else out there too. And and while you're talking about that state diagnostic lab, just just so people know mm-hmm. that the state lab that um that Andy's alluding to, the one at in Gaines, it's at it's uh-huh, outside right. of Gainesville. Uh, that Correct. is ex- an extraordinary lab and worth a visit. So if you are anywhere close to there, they do tours and it is fascinating. It it is whether you're have any interest just an in interest in poultry in general it, it is it is it is a world-class facility I, I can't think of any other place in the world that you that would be even close to it it's incredible wow and you've traveled all over the world because i know sometimes i'm like are you going to be available for the show this thursday or, nope i'm going to be in egypt or nope i'm in south america or no i'm you know wherever mm-hmm. so that that really that really means a lot but it is it is really interesting it's you can walk around upstairs and almost look down oh, into each one of the different labs and see the work they're doing and it, it is pretty fascinating in fact you, you might find this a little bit uh, laughable the last i heard as much as you brag about the place um, i don't know if it's the folks that work there the state somewhere they're talking about well, it's really not meeting our needs. We need to expand, and we need thirty million dollars. We want. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I can't. I can't exactly uh, word it accurately, but but I know last time I was there, they were talking about we we really need to upgrade. We really need to, uh, um, you know, as a sign of the times, and we can upgrade. And we need. I forget how many millions of dollars to expand oh on God. what they've already got. I know, right? Because it's already super amazing. That may be a hard sell. Based on uh, the facility, the, the facility they already have there, and as advanced as it is to say, you know, to say, oh, we we really need to uh, upgrade and advance our our facility here for however many millions of dollars. So I haven't I haven't heard recently where that's gone or if they've made any headway with that. But I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, that's funny. Thanks for thanks, thanks for the so, insight. That's awesome. <laughs> you bet. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Andy. Bye. All righty, that's poultry veterinarian out at UC Davis in California, uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski, and is great. Longtime contributor for this podcast, longtime contributor to Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and a contributor to Chicken Factor, Chicken Poop, uh, which was my second book that actually came out a few years ago. And, I, and I'll share that with you, too, if you're not familiar with that book. Uh, you can find it highly discounted uh, at sellers on Amazon right now uh, to the tune of maybe five bucks or some sellers that have it. I don't know if they're used or what, um, but uh, what is chicken fact or chicken poop? Uh, it's basically a book that debunks a lot of the myths, rumors, stereotypes, and quackery that you see in these chicken groups, whether it be apple cider vinegar or red pepper flakes or pumpkin seeds or whatever, all these things that you hear out in these uh, blogs and chicken forums and chicken groups. And then we took all of this too good to be true uh, material that we saw, sent it out to professionals like Dr. Potesky, uh, Dr. Bridget McRae, um, and, and, and many others. And then we said, hey, is this chicken fact or is this chicken poop? So it's good to, uh, for you to, to be able to see that and what's, what's, uh, what's science and what's not. Thank you very much for tuning in. Again, this will be archived into a podcast here in the next 10 minutes, so you can go back and listen to anything that you may have missed. And uh, actually, we will have a show next Thursday at 2 p.m., um, and then I'm trying to look at the calendar here. Um, 
And then we may not have one on the is it the fourth or fifth Thursday, um, but we are going to have the first Thursday in September. I believe that's where we're going to have Tucker Milling on and share our story of how we started working together. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Let me find the silly button here. There we go. <laughs> Y'all have a good day. <laughs> oh, nope, wrong button. It's one of those days, folks. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening. Thank you.